It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone and welcome to another edition of reliving the war live and exclusive on the gray wolf wrestling network my name is nimsas all joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler simon we are swell into 1998 it is the first wcw paper of 1998 and you got to say 98 is started off with a bang after the royal rumble that we just watched yep the royal rumble kicked things off the right way for the wwe the attitude era is in full swing now for wcw they're almost going the other way if the wwe is peaking maybe this is the start of the decline of wcw well they start they ended 1997 on a pretty sour note wwe didn't exactly have the greatest finish to 1997 to be fair to but um as always, I know it's reliving the war, but we have to get the man that lives the war for the first time. Please welcome back to reliving the war and for the first time in 1998. <laughs> welcome, Owen. How are you, man? Hello, boys. Thank you. Um, and yes, I, I think after watching this show, I regret living the war now. <laughs> um, but no, I'm good. Um, 1998, January 1998, I would have been uh, two like two years and four months old or something like that. I was still a I was still a spring chicken. So and, and thankfully not wasting your time watching sold out nineteen ninety eight because look, no. let's let's just get I was straight. Watch, into it. I was probably watching Noddy or like <laughs> or, you know, like the magic like Magic Mountain or something. So let's let's start off with sold out nineteen ninety eight because let's 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 wind it back twelve months ago and sold out nineteen ninety seven. It was a an experimental pay per view, wouldn't you say, son? Because this was the first ever nwo only pay-per-view and it sort of seems like if you look at history anytime you try to do a like a spin-off brand solo pay-per-view be it ecw december to uh, dismember or w- or nwo sold out doesn't really go well does it yeah well i mean um we saw degeneration x in your house as well which was okay but in terms of 1997 sold out that was the first last and only nwa nwo pay-per-view for a good reason Sold out 98, if we're judging it only as a sold out, this one is the best one. But that's <laughs> not saying much. I will say, though, the intro really threw me off because they were continuing the vibe of Starcade, where it was spooky and gothic, but this time it was in sepia tone. And it was Eric Bischoff giving this uh, real dramatic monologue about power and control and being crazy. But then all of the highlights in the package were about kevin nash versus the giant which wasn't that dramatic it was just two giants wanting to fight there was a weird contrast it's like they had the bischoff video and then we're going to apply any feud to it but they picked the wrong one it was pretty strange like owen did you feel like oh that um that eric bischoff had just sort of 
that they'd stumbled on him doing like a monologue for a year eight drama project. <laughs> yeah, the set kind of reminded me of the of Wayne Manor from Batman and Robin. <laughs> like it was really weird, and like the flashing lightning was super odd too, and like the really high camera angle from like twelve feet up also confused <laughs> me. Like there was a lot going on that I just it was there's a lot to unpack, but I can't be bothered unpacking it. My my first note, my first note literally is, what was that intro about? Question mark. But... <laughs> See, here's the thing, right? Like we've always complained about WCW's production value in the intro videos. The production value was actually really good, but it made no sense. Yeah. And it was also 30 yeah. seconds long again. It's like they can't commit to it. They don't want to go too long for some reason. And then you look at recently the WWE Royal Rumble from the other day where pretty much the entire show, more or less, was packages. And it all went for like five minutes long. <laughs> they that, know what they're good at. That's one thing that I, as we'll, we'll get into it as we get into the matches, but look, sold out 1998, first things first, and this probably doesn't apply to you, Owen, but when I first saw after the intro and everything like that, just this massive wave of nostalgia basically when it hit me in, I'm talking a massive event because like first off i don't know how how much you've ever played wcw nwo sold out on but um if you notice the set in the sold out set this is the one that is in the game and pretty much everything from now on will be featured heavily in wcw nwo revenge okay so now all your references will make sense (laughs) (laughs) pretty much but did you notice too that tony shivani had said the word sold out about 58 times within the first couple of minutes yeah and can we also speak at the start of the show can we also appreciate um dusty rose incredible hat i want to try and find one of those purple and yellow wcw hats because that hat is sick yeah, they need to make more of the purple and yellow WCW merch. I feel like they go with the later year logo, but no, we need that one because that is a cool yeah, hat. It's awesome. And I, yeah. I'm sure it's one of those awesome like corduroy hats as well, which are making a comeback. Uh, shout out to our buddy Joel Brown, who runs WCW Gold Twitter account. Hopefully, if you've got one of those lying around, Joel, hook us up, would you? <laughs> but, um, but, but let's get straight into the match. The first match is a Luchador Rules one. Hoover to Guerrero. Uh, Super Carlo and Chavo Guerrero Jr. versus Lismark Jr. Oh, sorry, no, Chavo and Lismark Jr. So this is this is a, a huge match versus La Parker, Silver King, Psychosis, and El Dandy. Now, oh, and I'm going to tell you this right now: for the next year or so, you're going to see a lot of La Parker, Silver King, and El Dandy. Now, I'm okay with that because my first note for this entire show is. I love La Parker. Imagine thinking of his gig of his gimmick. I'm a skeleton who carries a chair around. What a gimmick! Mm. And and he's super over too. I mean, Simon, did you remember how super over La Parker was? Of like when you think about it, WCW had a lot of bodies in there. There was just a lot of people. It was basically NWO, DDP, Rey Mysterio, and everyone else is kind of a bit player here and there. But La Parker was mega. I was keen to see how over he would be because I, I thought maybe, oh, it'll take a while before it catches on. I didn't realize that LaParker's gimmick was super popular right away. We haven't really seen him much on pay-per-view. This was the first time he really did all the um, chairman stuff and the dancing, and it was amazing. He was the highlight of this match because I'm sure I've made it clear I don't really care about these matches at all. Why would yeah. this match, like, honestly, this should be on the pre-show. There's no 
feud. There's no story. These guys are barely on TV. Why is this on pay-per-view? But in saying all that, yeah, like we had one highlight and that was Lepaka. Mm. It was a very hectic match. Super hectic. And oh, and were we able to keep track of everything that was going on considering the fact that it was Lucha Rules? As someone who enjoys Mexican and Super Junior Wrestling, this was very hard to keep up with. <laughs> um, but I do like... I actually quite liked it because it was different. But again, the stereotypical Mexican music hit. I'm like, oh, it's the Mexican match. <laughs> like, they use the same song for everybody. Um, but yeah, the crowd pop when La Parker walked out was massive. Like, it was probably one of the pops of the night. And I was very, very impressed by that. Um, Brain at one stage said it's like a barroom fight. You can come in and leave whenever you want. And that really <laughs> popped me for some reason. Um, and I'm really sorry, Simon, but Mike Tanay is growing on me, but I'm really mad about it because <laughs> <laughs> I know he annoys me, but like, for some reason I'm like, ah, he's commentating and he's, he's comment. The thing is, he's commentating is actually quite good, but he just really just annoys me. Um, he's full of good facts. He's just, his delivery comes across as like too smug. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's not, he, that's the thing. He's just a stats man. And Jeff Jarrett's mentioned this on his podcast that uh, he's not a commentator by any means. Like that's why he struggled so much in TNA, but did pretty well because he was the play-by-play <laughs> He's play not guy, a commentator. That's why I employed him as my lead announcer for 10 years. Good one. Well, Jeff. that's the thing. That's, that's <laughs> so the thing. Jeff weird. was like, well, there was no one else. There was <laughs> yeah, literally no one else. Um, but but just quickly, I want to I want to mention. Did anyone else notice at the start there seemed to be only one fan with a Mexican flag that they kept going to because it's like show the Mexican dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would I would like to say two like two last notes for me. Um, was when there was like it was like, it was like a big like I would say double down, but it was like a what a a set tuple down because seven of the guys went down mm. and brain goes somewhere in Mexico. There's an insurance <laughs> salesman who's canceled. Seven <laughs> that was good. And that had me. I did love that line. That. that was very good. But, um, silver, silver King took the ugliest front bump I've seen in my entire life. Just straight to the floor. It was at the start of that. Like where all of them did their outside spots. He did. He, he went to do a crossbody off the floor and Super Carlo just like no sold it wall past. And 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 Silver King just goes splat on the, he just like takes a full front bump on the floor. I'm like, from the top rope, I'm like, you're a brave but stupid, stupid man. <laughs> I oh, actually I stuff. just want to say Al Dandy, for anyone who doesn't know, please Google Al Dandy, because watching this back, I'm convinced Nacho Libre was based on Al Dandy in terms of how yeah. he looks. Because yeah. my God. It was a splitting image. <laughs> the well, mullet and the, like the seedy moustache. Yeah, everything. The body type. Jack Black was 100% watching <laughs> WCW. One thing that we do have to point out is like, you know, all of these guys, while it, it wasn't a, like, it was just a hectic match. There was a lot going on, but there was some good wrestling. Unfortunately, there was eight guys at the same time doing good wrestling. So while like, say, Hubertude's doing a 450, you got Tornado DDTs in one corner and then a brawl on the outside. It's just like, right, I, I don't know what oh, is going on here. It was exciting, but I think like it goes back to, we've discussed it before. Watching these shows back, matches like this don't hold up anymore because we've seen this done better and taken to, you know, the, the furthest limit you can go with 
a match for a match's sake and with exciting moves. So now it looks dated. Whereas the mm. crappy, ma- not crappy matches, but like basic matches where two guys just do like a drop toe hold and a hip toss stand out more because we don't see it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Chavo gets the win here. And then uh, with a, with, like I said, the tornado DDT on psychosis. And then La Parker comes in afterwards and cleans house to a monster pop. Like how good was that? That was the highlight. <laughs> Do you reckon he went to business for himself? <laughs> well, he beat up his own team. Maybe he did. It was worth it. He's known to do that. <laughs> so oh, I wouldn't be surprised. It was what? just so great. First off, seeing LaBarca take out the other team, and everyone's like, yeah, then he took out everyone else. It was almost like people would have been happy if Royal Rumble style, people just ran down the entrance ramp and then got clocked by LaBarca, and then they bring out another. That that just seemed to be a good way to fill three hours, I figure, um, if you were trying to book a new sort of uh, pay-per-view at WCW. But yeah, a cool little opener there to start us all off. Got the crowd no, up and, up and uh, bouncing, I could say. We then see an ad for WCW NWO Boston Brawl, January 31st, 1998. Now, Simon, when this ad came up, I had zero memory of this. Do you know anything about the Boston Brawl? When the ad hit and it was produced like a full commercial, they were saying, you're in Boston, it's going to be action-packed. I was like, I don't remember this event. But then they said, this is the first ever pay-per-listen. And Mm. it rung a bell because I've read about it. But they even flashed the price, $8 for an audio pay-per-view. $8 to listen to commentary. You pay $10 for the whole WWE network. Like, that is insane. And the other thing, too, is it would have been real audio, probably. (laughs) Yeah. So, for anyone who doesn't know, it would have been terrible. But anyway, it was a one-off. They tried. You know, they're going into the future. So, we see a Mean Gene Oakland hotline plug. He's mentioned the Pope. He's mentioned Bill Clinton. Owen, if you didn't know you were in 1998 at the start of this, you definitely know you are now, don't you? Now, I I, I understood the Clinton reference in which, um, spoiler, Piper goes into depth later. <laughs> but um, what was the Pope reference? Was this when he got shot? No, that was the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, John, uh, Pope John Paul, uh, that was an 80s one. But uh, this is JP2's reign, isn't it? Uh... Simon? Yeah, yeah, he would have been. Um, I honestly have no idea what that was referenced to, but he must have done something in 1998. I'm trying to just quickly Google it now. What was well, the date? Did... What was the date of this pay-per-view? It was like, like January. January 24. Yeah, I don't know. I don't so know, but just... I feel like Gene's getting desperate with his hotline because normally he's like, you're not going to believe which superstar from another company is backstage. Now he's like, Bill Clinton and the Pope could be in the NWO. Call me to find out. Like, it's getting real desperate. I do love I do love Gene just blue-balling us, but really, there's just nothing. But <laughs> yeah. I, I like how he gave, like, a time. It was, it was like, join us at 11 p.m. on the hotline for the answers. Yeah, a strange one. Absolutely strange one there. But um, oh, like, real what- quickly... I love the fact that he was like Mark when they when the hotline number came up, he he was like mark it down with the mark it down on a piece of paper, with a pencil. I like <laughs> he like Gene Gino is really struggling, isn't he? 
The other thing that always really dates these sort of uh, pay-per-views is uh, something that I forgot to notice, uh, forgot to mention at the start is, but the the font used is the classic Hootie and the Blowfish one from uh, back in the day. If anyone out there picked that one up. Or Pearl Jam rearview mirror kind of style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, well, let's get to our next match, which is uh, a Ravens rules one. So Raven comes out with a flock and no music. Dave Penzer tells the flock to leave and Raven cuts one of his little stock standard promos before Chris Benoit comes out. Let's face it, Simon, Owen, not Owen, sorry. Um, Raven, same amount of uh, syllables. <laughs> and I'm also pretty cool. <laughs> and, you, and you're very, um, you're, you often even flow DDT people as well. <laughs> yeah, when delivery drivers come in at work with more than five deliveries, they get a big snap DDT. <laughs> But um, but have you noticed that I don't know about you, but R- Raven's shtick never really flew with me back in uh when I was <laughs> a fan of WCW. Like it was, it's it was always the same, you know. Oh, society doesn't want me to blah 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 blah. blah. It's like shut up, just wrestle, man. See, on the opposite, I loved Raven as a kid because I didn't see him much. Because think about it, he was only in WCW for a kind of a short time, and then they kind mm-hmm. of changed his character, and then he was back in ECW. And because of his reputation in ECW, it was like, ooh, Raven's this guy that they didn't know how to use and he should have been a big star. So I'm kind of watching this to see if he lives up to the hype I had as a kid. He's, I've liked some of what I've seen, to be honest. I think it holds up. Maybe it's not a case of, oh, he could have been world champion, but he definitely could have done more. I don't know. I think it holds up. He's one of the last few wrestlers that I reckon didn't have to be world champion, you know, like it, like yeah. falling into that Jake the Snake sort of mold and stuff like that because his WWF run is still talked about as Raven, maybe for the wrong reasons, but he <laughs> only held the hardcore title and he was still a really, really popular dude on the card. But um, I, I feel like... I feel like guys like like character guys, like very heavy character guys don't need the title. And I think yeah. that's a good... Like, or at least a world title... And then, like, he proves, as you guys said, like, he kind of proves that because, like, he's, you know, his promos are kind of cool and, like, his matches always make sense because he was very, because yeah. sto- he was very storyline driven because he, and very character driven. So, like, it makes sense not putting a strap on him as long as he's got something good to work with. And it's yep. a shame to me, like, yeah, we don't have to say he should have beat Hulk Hogan for the world title, but it's a shame we didn't even get to see Raven just in the upper mid card, like, messing with the NWO or sort of messing mm. with, someone like Luger or DDP or Randy Savage. I think, I think it was still untapped potential. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Cause let's face it. He was still very, very over. And he, which brings us to this match. Uh, Cause Chris Benoit, he and uh, Benoit actually had a fairly legendary sort of uh, feud there. I still will always say this and it's a hill I choose to die on, but Chris Benoit's theme song does not suit the character. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> It really doesn't. It's it's it, it's very generic creator wrestler music, and like I don't know, maybe it was just like Christian. Benoit never did. He didn't really fit in the Four Horsemen either. He was a weird fit in WCW through his whole run. I think just mm. never felt right, even though he had some good matches. And honestly, this was one of the bet to me one of the better Benoit matches oh. we've seen on pay per view. Violent, very, very violent. Oh, and what yeah. did you think of this one? Because you've seen a, an array of uh, stuff. What did you think of this offering from 1998? Yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of both of these guys. Um, I really liked it. Yeah, as you said, like, it was very violent and very old school. It was very, 
And it started really slow and methodical. And that's what I really liked about it. Because you got two guys who kind of portray the whole, oh, they're, you know, they're not like mentally unstable, but the whole, oh, like, you know, they're like, you got to get into their mind. Like they play like the mind tricks, like the mental, like the mental aspect of either mm-hmm. like life and psychology, which is Raven, but the mental aspect of wrestling, which is Benoit. And I liked how that kind of clashed. And that's where they came out, like the slow, you know, the grappling and more like the ground brawling. I really liked it. Um, The crowd was kind of off for a bit. They didn't know how to take it. But they kind of built with the match, which was cool. I didn't mind this. I actually quite liked this match. I thought it was pretty, pretty cool. I, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool too, because like we offer, I've, I think I've been critical last time around. Every time that there's a Ravens rules match, it just seems to be a stock standard match. Whereas this one really did take advantage of, you know, I mean, what was the last Ravens rules match we sort of saw some a couple of pay fees ago? Was that against Malenko? Oh, was, who was it against? It was no, kind it was of Saturn, boring. It was, it was Satin and Satin versus Malenko, wasn't it? Was it Satin and Benoit? Yeah, yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and that was, was really, very really good. But it was just like if you're gonna have the thing where you know Ravens rules, anything goes, and you just have a stock standard match, like use the gimmick. And I felt like this one just absolutely, absolutely used it. That was perfectly. Like, and then on the other hand, like Benoit when he had that last man standing or I quit match with Meng, and it was just a normal match. Mm. So both guys here were making up for yeah mislabeled <laughs> gimmick matches. Uh, what oh, did you like th- that weird like death match thing they did with me? He did with me. That's right, death match, and it wasn't a death match. It was just a mm. match. Yeah, it was just a match. There was no death. Yeah. It was just <laughs> um, the the finish was pretty cool because Benoit puts Raven in the crippled crossface, and Raven like does that maniacal, enjoying smiling sort of uh, face, and then passes out to the uh, the crossface, and then we get into the shenanigans at the end, which. When you when you sort of think about it, at, in this era, Simon, there was so many run-ins, so many things like that, and Raven had a flock. Raven had the faction, but they really, like, when they got involved, it made sense when they got involved, didn't it? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought, um, who was it? Billy Kidman ran out first. Kidman comes out, mm-hmm. and then Malenko stopped him, and the crowd went nuts. We've made note of it so many times how over Malenko was, but Malenko making the save, Benoit and him teaming up and fighting off the flock this got a massive reaction this felt like a main event segment and it was funny to see it's so funny to me how boring malenko and benoit look in wcw they look like these two dads who are gonna you know drop off the kids uh, at school and the flock are these over-the-top gothic guys it's just very cartoony which is very good, I thought. Especially, especially since Dean Malenko was dressed like he'd literally just like, I'm just, I'm just in the shower. I'll be about. I'll, I'll join you guys in a second. Yeah. Um, um, we get to. Real, we get to. Oh, sorry, go I was on. So, real quick, did you guys notice? Um, this was a Saturday night pay per view. Yeah, because the following yeah. day was the Super Bowl, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, the uh, Green Bay and Denver. In so, the Super Bowl. So pretty um, smart yeah. on WCW's part. Yeah, I didn't realize until like it, it wasn't mentioned until after that match when um when Shavai was like, oh, you know, Saturday night fights. I'm like, oh, it's a Saturday night pay per view. That's kind of cool. It's different. And yeah, and then yeah, I looked it up because yeah, the and then and then it clicked because later in the show, um, 
uh, Shivani was like, oh, you know, we'll be cheering on WCW's Kevin Green tomorrow when he plays in the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. so no pay-per-view. So. There's, an, there's another line too where they go and mention that, um, uh, you know, Nitro's not tomorrow. It's on in two days' time Yeah, uh, as well too because obviously it would be force of habit to sort of just go whoop, straight into it. Mm. Uh, let's get quickly to the uh, Jericho versus Rey Mysterio match. Now, this is one of those odd occasions where Jericho's music is overdubbed with his WWF theme, but I will give them a little bit of credit. They use his first ever WWF theme, but um, the thing that I love is Jericho's really finding his character here. This is the the smarmy cry bear, uh, baby Jericho and perfect foil in Rey Mysterio to go up against him. Simon, is this everything that you remembered? Yeah, it, we finally have heel Chris Jericho. This was great because seeing him being white meat baby face Jericho, it just feels like we were counting it down. Like, come on, get to the real Jericho. It is a shame that they had the dubbed audio because we didn't get the real reaction of the crowd. Um, but anyway, you could see the way he was kind of performing in his entrance that, yeah, this is the Jericho that would, you know, go on to bigger and better things. Now, was this around the time of the Thousand Holds list? No. That, no soon, no. that's when he feuds with Malenko. So it's within the next year. Okay, because I only said, because, yeah, because I do remember that being like smarmy dickhead Jericho. Yeah. It's like this match really, really proved that. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, one of my notes is dickhead heel Jericho is the best Jericho. And mm. you can nothing will change my mind because it's the truth. This is the this is the one that when people talk about how good Jericho was in WCW, this is the start of it. We always talk about like you know how much DDP reaches his final form, how much you know Scott Steiner gets the big popper pump. But this is, and it's not quite there yet because he's still working. Like he's he's almost like I'd say he's about seventy percent there. But when he yeah. starts getting Ralphus, when he starts like actually you know mocking people, like for example. When in his feud with Malenko, Malenko is the man of a thousand holds, as was his WCW tagline. He's the man of a thousand and four holds. He does that famous armbar promo and whatnot with the list. But um, let's get let's this match. I thought was criminally short. Yes, it should have been so. They should have given it so much more time. But um, I got to say, like Jericho and Rey Mysterio, and this is something that was they carried on to their WWE reign as well. Just fantastic dance partners, weren't they? Yeah. They definitely knew how to work each other. Um, and especially like, yeah, as you said, like the way they progressed through their careers together um, was definitely, you know, it showed. And even, I mean, even if you threw those two in the ring now, I reckon you'd probably still get a match of this quality. Um, I really, oh yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Um, very much like story heavy, mm-hmm. um, especially towards the end with like the, the post-match beatdown. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, does anyone do a better slingshot Rana than Rey Mysterio? Because that slingshot Rana he did was the best, even though um, Tony Schiavone called it the head scissors takeover. It's like he's been to the Julia James School of Pro Wrestling Commentary, where everything's a head scissors takeover. Um, but no, really awesome. Um, Charles Robinson was so close to botching, it, botching a two count, it wasn't funny. Um, he went one, two... I'll bring the arm up. It was so close to like, I'm pretty sure he hit the map. Anyway, um, no, awesome, awesome match. And with the new champion. Yeah, Jericho gets the win with the line tamer. And it, it makes you forget just how devastating the line tamer was compared to the walls of Jericho. Because obviously, I love when, the line tamer. When, when Jericho went into a WWE, he had to mo- modify the mood, move ever so slightly. Because 
like his famous example is you can't do it on the big show. You can't do the line, the line time on the big show, but um, the, let's get back to that post-match beat down from Jericho, because this is the, this is the character work that we talk about so much. Mm. Like how good Simon was it? Like it just took me back to all of those whiny Jericho promos where he's where he, like, you know, he almost, it's the cause and effect one where like he really gets the crowd. The minute he opens his mouth, eating out the palm of his hand. Yeah. The post-match was the best part of the match. I didn't like the match at all. Not that it wasn't good. They have good chemistry, obviously, but it was too short. And I think I'm spoiled now because their matches in WWE for the Intercontinental title were amazing. That was one of the best feuds of the past like decade or whatever. Mm. And I kept thinking of that. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. But it wasn't. And then I looked it up. So this match was a cover for Rey Mysterio's injury. He'll be gone right. for six months here. This was one of his first big knee ops, which would, you know, be a recurring thing for him. So that explains why this was so short. But I don't know. Right. I think I kept expecting more. I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be as good as those matches. Um, but anyway, the post-match beatdown was amazing. That's five yep. stars. Chris Jericho was great. And he chucked in one of his stupid old references to get the crowd to boo him. He did the Sally Field, you like me, you really like me thing, uh, which is funny to think now. I was actually looking it up because that's something that's been parodied so often. That's now over 35 years old as a reference. (laughs) That happened at the 1985 Oscars. It was already dated in 98. So to watch it now, it's like, if you don't know what he's talking about, you would have no idea. But anyway, it was also love it. Or you would think also, that he's doing a callback to a 1998 WCW match. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, but it was good. Uh, Beating up Ray is always fun. I also love how this was probably one of the early incarnations of Jericho doing the, yeah, baby. Like yep. he was doing, like he was doing, he was trying to be um, Paul Stanley from KC 1998 as well. It really annoys me. Much- like it annoys me that he did the baby thing first in wrestling. But now kids are like, oh, that's Adam Cole's thing. It's like Jericho was doing it in 98. Anyway. <laughs> and in 2003. <laughs> and in 2010. <laughs> yeah, anyway. And in 1999. And pretty, much, <laughs> and pretty much all the way through like the list of Jericho stuff yeah, as well. Exactly. Right, let's get to our next bit. Main G- <laughs> this is always one of my favorite things. A pay-per-view promo segment. I love it. <laughs> um let, let, let's start this off to with a bit, bit of backstory so it's me and gene and jj dylan in the ring with a vacated wcw title now the belt was removed from sting because the nwo claimed shenanigans which let's face it starcade had shenanigans but no, um, really yeah no, right. <laughs> but um so jj dylan he's the most boring on-screen authority figure i've ever known but yeah. that is because Simon, correct me if I'm wrong. He's actually an authority figure in WCW, isn't he? I believe he was at the time because he was working backstage for the WWE and then he left and then he came to WCW to work for them and then they put him on TV. Here's the thing, though, without the context, so for both of us watching WCW as a kid, we didn't know that J.J. Dillon was like the head guy for the Four Horsemen and was this great heel manager. We just thought he was this boring old man. I hated him as a kid because I thought he was boring. And as an adult, he's still boring. Like, he's yeah. no personality to him at all. Wait until you get... Wait, oh, and there's going to be some WCW papers where you see someone even worse than J.J. Dillon, Harvey Schiller. Because Harvey Schiller 
is actually a TV executive. He's not even a wrestling person. He's literally someone from TNT. And to be fair, like when when you need like forget guys like Cyrus and stuff like that being you know or the network. He literally was the network. <laughs> he was also a doctor. He was Doctor Harvey Schiller, from That's what right. I remember. So there you go. That's right. But let's get to this segment because uh, so basically, me and Gene and JJ Dillon come out and talk about you know. They've canvassed many opinions about what to do with the WCW title. We've turned to experts. Rowdy Roddy Piper is one of those experts, and he comes out and rambles for a bit, but he gets to the real meat and potatoes off this segment, which is bringing out Sting to a monster pop. Like Even after all of the, the bad taste that was left in everyone's mouths after Starcade 97, Sting is still mega over here. Super over, wouldn't you say? And he looked more enthusiastic than he did at Starcade 97, that's for sure. And I'm telling and you, more someone, in shape. someone was taking the piss. There was a sign in the crowd during this segment that said, Hogan is the tannest icon of all time. It's like, are you serious? Anyway. <laughs> um, speaking of, um, really quickly, speaking of um, fans holding things up, when Piper came down the ramp, they panned the they, they panned the crowd on the aisle, and there were fans holding up signs, and then there was a fan holding up a Snickers bar. <laughs> well, this good show cross- was brought to you by yeah. Snickers, which is great. Look, it's good. It's really good that Snickers have been so like passionate and loyal to the pro- professional wrestling business for nearly thirty years because they was. Was last year's mania brought to you by Snickers? They've oh, every a, mania yeah. brought to you by Snickers. They've been a, the there main you go. sponsor for like a decade now. So there yeah. you go. Snickers really satisfies and they love wrestling. <laughs> I, wish they, I wish they would sponsor us. I love Snickers. Who doesn't? That oh, would be that, that would great. be great. Uh, before we get onto a tangent about Snickers, we let's get into <laughs> this segment. Um, so Sting comes out to a monster pop, and then so does Bischoff, Hall, and Hogan. Now, the reason that they come out, Hogan obviously being the former champ, Scott Hall comes out because he won World War Three, and this is his title shot. He's meant and to get a title shot. Acknowledged. Mm. They finally acknowledged it. But more importantly, Eric Bischoff, Scott Hall, and Hollywood Hulk Hogan all come out in their primary costumes from WCW <laughs> NWO Revenge. Did you notice that, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> they did look about as perfect as they could. Like, this is burnt into the memory. Scott maybe Hall had the Wolfpack tights, everything. It was perfect. Maybe Nims, and this is like being legit, maybe they were doing the character scans backstage. Oh, there was, I don't know if you've seen the models of that, but there was no such thing as a character scan. <laughs> oh, no, because like, I, there's, a, there's an Instagram page I follow called The Extreme Collector, and a while ago, he posted like, like the official like posed like 360 photos of uh, ECW of, of Taz in for the ECW game. Look, it, it is quite possible. Doing, they may have been doing that. I think that's kind of cool. But uh, that's how I'm going to take it anyway. So have a look at Eric Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Uh, so yeah, Eric and Bischoff. Hogan's got the lightning tights. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It is so great that they're in uh, this stuff. But yeah, we're getting sidetracked a little bit here. But um. The another fun one that I really wish I had it with me, but that WCW toy title in the crowd, I actually own that from uh, really? the Nitro that came down here. But um, long story short, Piper announces that Hogan and Sting will be at uh, the main event of Super Brawl 8, and then Scott Hall just leaves disgusted. One of the first times that you see some 
descent from an original NWO member. Yeah, and between the originals, between Hogan and Hall, and then Piper says to Hogan, because Hogan is so outraged about the situation, he's like, oh, you say tradition bites, well, tradition just bit you in the bum. And it's like, what kind of G-rated insult is that? Especially from Piper, who has said some horrible things on TV. And then Sting did a bunch of crotch chops. What is going on with Sting's character at this time? I've got no idea. He's crotch chopping. He's speaking Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) He's ruining it. That's why he wasn't talking for a year. Speaking of G-rated, when Hall walks, Hogan turns to the camera and goes... What's wrong with Scott Hall? Let's go find out. Like he's part of the mystery gang from Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I didn't yeah. get it. It's like, let's go, kids. Grabs the camera, follows him down the runway. It's like, what's going on in that segment? It was weird because he said it really, yeah, like it was expo- exposition. It was really loud. He's like, now what's Scott Hall doing today? <laughs> and he full named him too. Yeah. There was Very also moment. a sign here that said, I read the torch. What a nerd. I did see that one. I yeah. did take that song. Is that you, Nims? <laughs> yeah. no, unfortunately not. I, I wasn't a big Wade Keller guy back then. I was more for Bob Ryder, Mark. <laughs> uh, may God rest his soul. Uh, let's um, move on to our next match. But before I do, here is Scott Hall's primary uh, costume. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, Tell I me. I, had, I wish I had that size chest. <laughs> Tell me that they are not just in their regular W. And just for... Just for for, uh, for, for future reference, this is what Bret Hart uh, was wearing at the time too. So they're oh, all spot everyone on. except for Ric Flair is in there. Yeah. So um, you could be right on the on that. This is where they got their their steals done. Oh, I reckon. Uh, <laughs> let's get to our next match, which is one that just blew my mind: Rick Martel versus Booker <laughs> T for the TV title. Because I was like, Rick Martel, the model Rick Martel in 1998. Yeah, was it was part in- of his career. It was part of his like career. Surgeons. Not much resurging was going on, I can tell you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um one thing that really stood out to me at first was a dude in the crowd cosplaying a stink. Um just that would have been so awful to sit there for three hours <laughs> with the face makeup and the trench coat on. Like surely that couldn't have been comfortable. Really but, quickly um, speaking of people cosplaying in the crowd, did you on hard cam side there was three guys with Black face paint NWO like moot like like moot like NWO Muda. And a dude right with a them, six with, Yeah, who yeah. it was a bald guy who painted his entire head green yeah. and had the six ball on his head. It was the best thing I've seen. Yeah, that, support for that all that awesome. six I know there was another uh, sign for the Wolfpack and it had photos of Nash Hall and Sean Waltman that nobody none of these people knew he was fired already. No. Well, he's not was, there. Waltman, was he in WWF or was that we still awaiting him in nah, to he up? he only comes into the WWF after uh WrestleMania WrestleMania 14. So, so we're it's still two, two, two months, months away. away. Yeah. Soon. Soon. Um so yeah, this was a solid match. And I don't know why I was so surprised because Rick Martel, even with his model gimmick in the WWF, was one of the most solid dudes there, and another one of those guys that didn't need a title back in the day. He just had, oh, so I don't know how much of Rick Martel is the model you saw, but he used to walk walk out like, like picture like Tyler Breeze's gimmick, but dial it back a, a bit because he had a huge badge that said, yes, I am a model. <laughs> and you know, those old school like bug sprays that yeah. you'd see in like Looney Tunes cartoons. So he, yeah. he'd have that with perfume 
his own oh. perfume called Arrogance. What a king. So it was really cool to actually see Rick Martel take on Booker T. Booker T, mega over here. Like yeah. even in 1998, he was clearly like, you know, the Michaels to Stevie Ray's Marty Jannetty. I feel like I ask this every single show. Was this the start of his singles push? Pretty no. much. Or like no. because Stevie Ray is injured, so Booker's doing a short solo run. But I think they team up again, then break up again. Okay. Yeah. Is that, when, is that when Stevie joins the Wolfpack? No, Stevie he joins, joins the NWO. Uh, he doesn't join the Wolfpack. Oh, yeah. I yes. the Wolfpack. No, Stevie he's like actually, the worst NWO. Stevie actually is the leader of the NWO B team. Yeah. So with like yeah. Horace Hogan. Um, but like, and, and this is the thing, like, yes, Booker gets a TV title and a singles run and the best of seven match, but he's nowhere near the main event. He's still buried in the mid card here. It's not till, it's not till 2000 that he actually sort of bubbles to the top of the card. And when, when WCW was bubbling away. Pretty much. <laughs> and which is criminal when you see how over he is. Mm. Yeah. And how good he is. This was a great match. To me, this was a lot of fun. It is funny to think, ooh, Rick Martel, what's he doing in WCW? He was only 43. And, and you know, as we've said, ages are a weird thing in wrestling. Um, mm. Unfortunately, though, yeah, this was meant to be his comeback run. And as you saw, he was in awesome shape, could hang with Booker T. That a real solid, just straight up wrestling yeah, match. He super match. I think he blows his knee out. I'm pretty sure it's the Nitro after this. Right. And it was like, nah, one too many injuries. And he just says, you know what? Maybe this wasn't worth it. But yeah, it's also, a shame. Still look good. Also, was that not the most devastating Harlem hangover you said? Because doesn't Booker's foot go straight in his face? Oh, he mashes his jaw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was one like of those the... ones where it kind of looked like it missed, but then on the replay, it was like, no, this was worse than missing. He <laughs> got him right in the head. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, this was an absolute belter. I love this match. Also, because mm. I'm a huge Rick Martel fan, and he wasn't there. He wasn't in WCW. That's why, that's why it's a blip, because it's. I did not remember his run in WCW at all, and that'd be why. Quick question for you two. Will Booker's scissor kick never not be cool? It's like the oh, coolest thing ever. Great. I love it so much. And then it sets up the Harlem hangover. It's like the, I reckon it's probably like top five, like set up and finish a move, like transitions. Booker's got a great collection of signature moves. The, the scissor the kick, best. the Harlem hangover, says. the bookend, the Harlem sidekick, the spin kick and the spin Bang, five moves of doom or whatever. Perfect. And they're all <laughs> sick. Like, they're all so good for a guy his size as well. It's very impressive. Yeah. As we get on to our next match, it is Scott Hall versus Larry Zabisco. Scott Hall comes out with Louis Piccoli. Larry Zabisco comes out and he calls for some backup, backup as well. And to a monster pop, Dusty Rhodes leaves the announcement and accompanies him. They acknowledge that Larry is a former AWA champion as well. And he... While that is great, he shouldn't be dominating an in-prime Scott Hall because oh, you, missed oh, the other bit of tri- you missed the other bit of traffic uh, of trivia. Two-time world champion and winner of over 5,000 matches. Yeah, matches, right. that's oh, sure. Right. <laughs> sure, sure, sure <laughs> you did, Larry. <laughs> now, speaking of, like, as you said, Nims, like prime Scott Hall, speaking of, I reckon in like, oh, like over, like between Starcade and um this event here scott hall was like did i reckon he did a quick shred diet because 
my boy looking good. He looks very he good. He was looking better than he looked throughout 97. He was looking chiseled. He was looking jacked. He was thin a bit. His body hair was just flourishing. Well, he's getting <laughs> he's getting ready for his uh, title shot after winning World War Three six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Did you but, guys uh, notice the guy in a shirt? So when Dusty Rhodes came out with Larry, the camera kind of zoomed in inadvertently. There was some real redneck guy. He had a T-shirt and it said, excuse my language. It said, if it has tits or tires, but then the bottom I couldn't catch. So I Googled it because I figured it's one of these redneck shirts that, you know, you can yeah. get printed at a gas station. There were two variations of it. It was one or the other. So if it has tits or tires, option A is I can make it squeal. Option two <laughs> Option two is if it has tits or tires, it will give you trouble. This guy <laughs> with a mullet could have been wearing either, but anyway. Or he 50 50. He might have had two shirts there. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to mix it up. Oh, but look, I don't know. As, as, why is Scott Hall taking some? I get it. He he really respected Larry yeah. Zabisco, but come, and he was an absolute pro. Like Scott Hall just did what you told him. But come on, man, push back. Hall gets like, there's too much offense from Larry. Hall does get his best off in there, you know, the fallaway slam, all that sort of jazz. But yeah. it's all, it's it's basically, you know, one-way traffic here, unfortunately. There was very loud Larry Sucks chance. Very yeah, loud. Actually. Hmm. Yeah, and then very loud Hall Sucks chance, and then Larry Sucks again, and then more Hall chance. This felt like Hogan versus The Rock in terms of crowd chanting. For whatever mm. reason, the crowd just wow, what, crazy wow. for it. <laughs> really holding those two matches up next to each other, right, Simon? <laughs> for, for whatever reason, the crowd was really invested in this. Look, it wasn't the worst, but as we've all no. said, Scott Hall was like WCW's MVP for '97. Like, come on, what a what a waste. Yeah, he and anytime like a commentator takes on an active wrestler and. It's always the commentator that's that Jerry Lawler's done that when he when he took against when he was up against Taz in his prime. Like it just makes zero sense. But let's get to the the real shocking part of this because so there's some shenanigans as Larry does a weird, the most awful spin kick I've ever seen to try and get Scott Hall in the corner. He takes out the ref and then Dusty gets and then Louis Piccoli gets involved. And then shenanigans ensue when Dusty comes into a huge pop by the crowd. Does the wobble legs. Yeah, yeah. Does the full on, like, you know, it's like he's back at bloody the Georgia Dome. It's Starcade 1988. But my God, he he just shocks the world and takes and does the old bionic elbow and accidentally gets Larry Zabisco. Or was it? All right. Here's the thing, boys. I legit popped for this. Like, audible, genuine pop. I thought this bit was so cool. And again, yes, I'm watching a wrestling show for the first time from 1998. But I legit popped for this because I kind of didn't really know this happened. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was cool. And then, like, the reveal of the T-shirt. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm sold. Spelled. S-O-U-L-E-D. <laughs> to be fair, the crowd loved it. I remember this not being a big deal or barely being anything. But yeah. on, really? on night one when it happened, the crowd was all into NWO Dusty. Oh, I was, really I don't think this it. goes anywhere. Well, the, the reason the reason why like no one was super into it back in the day is because it made zero sense. No. Like 
it, it literally made zero sense. However, I'm going to bring this up one more time. Uh, this this um, heel turn by Dusty was so revolutionary. He actually accompanies Scott Hall to the ring <laughs> if you pick Scott Hall in WCW and WRO Revenge. Um, really? Yeah. So if you ever play and you wonder, why is Dusty Rhodes with Scott Hall? This is the reason. See? more this brings this brings more knowledge to my thought pattern it does sound <laughs> good did. on paper though what if you took scott hall and dusty Rhodes was his manager like it sounds mm. big sounds yeah epic yeah. there uh we're also a year away from uh dusty's ecw run but uh maybe we'll touch on that when when it happens but uh yeah tony and bobby absolutely <laughs> devastated after after this the beatdown on zabisco continues and that sort of bleeds into the next match because it's the NWO in action again. You got Buff Bagwell, Conan, and Scott Norton versus the Steiners and Big Boss Man. There's two stories at play here. First off, is Scott Steiner's sort of being going into business for himself a little bit, um, and secondly, Tony is just devastated that Dusty oh. Rhodes <laughs> has turned heel. My Tony favorite line. My favorite. So my my favorite line of commentary from him the entire night was. We live, we live on the same street. Our kids play together. And then Heenan go, Heen goes, well, he's like, well, will they be playing together tomorrow? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, now, this is the thing, though. This match seemed to have two things going on at the same time. And no one knew what to commit to. Mike Tanay, like, so they get Mike Tanay in the booth, obviously, filling in for Dusty. And Mike Tanay just spends his time, like, like he's, sitting around the dinner table complaining about the neighbor, but not wanting to say it too loud against the neighbor he is. <laughs> and then you've got a match where it's trying to build that Scott Steiner is bigger than the Steiners. And I forgot to mention the big boss man's involved too. He's so forgettable in this thing. <laughs> like it, it's just such an, I don't know. It's oil and water. This match. What did you guys think? This match really didn't matter. It felt like a rematch of the six-man they had at Starcade. It was Ray yeah. Trailer and the Steiners again against three random NWO guys. It was all about Scott Steiner becoming Big Papa Pump. They were talking about his arrogance and his growing ego and no one wanted to tag him in. But then he comes in at the end and basically wins the match on his own anyway. He hits, yeah, with the screwdriver. he hits the Steiner screwdriver and destroys Conan with it, which was great to see. There was a sign in the crowd here that said buff NWO and NWO stood for never works out. There's uh, a lot of things you can accuse buff of, but <laughs> never working out is not one of them. That's the one I thing feel, he does do. I feel like he had some assistance though. <laughs> Well, you, you can't say oh, that. Well, if anything, he's putting in extra work to work out. Buff needle working out. That would have been better. <laughs> he's, but he, he's definitely got the stuff. Oh, and it's not, stuff. It's, not, it's not Michael's special stuff from Space Jam either. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, it, it's an awful match. An awful it's match. Terrible. But, it's terrible. It's um, garbage. But we've, like, Big Popper Pump is just around the corner. Just what, around the corner. Well, there. what about the ending? That was the best bit. So when Scott Steiner kills everyone, Buff Bagwell points to him and is like, come with me, come mm. with me. And he points at his muscles. And then they both have like, they're in a trance tensing at each other. And it's mm. all very erotic. 
Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very <laughs> tense. It's and the best the best part about that entire thing is like Ray Trailer looking at Scott and I like, hey, you're gonna be a team player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's trying to lure him back. It was great. <laughs> Look, it must be a pretty garbage match when halfway through, like when they when they're constantly talking about Dusty and Tony Schiavone's having an existential crisis, and and um. Mike today is talking about it. And then you must be a really crap match when Heenan goes, Hey boys, we have a very important match to commentate right now. Yeah. I'm like, he just buries it on the air. This oh, no. match is straight up filler. It did not matter at all. Yeah. Awful stuff. But uh, we get, we get, we then get to an, another ad for the Boston brawl, which we've pointed out as a paper listen event. And are you guys, I- are you guys going to spend the eight bucks for it or what? Are we going to pitch well- in? My my um my paper my, listen party. I'll bring the pizza. My note here. I don't know if you can see it. Says, did Tony just say seven ninety nine? Because it just seemed ridiculous. Because <laughs> I'm like, this looks good. An internet for. Did he say seven ninety nine to listen to real play? Anyway, when, um, when they first said the internet first, I'm like, holy shit! Were they going to do like an internet pay per view? Like a like a. Oh mate, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Oh, mate, the internet back in the day. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Um, I still remember it's waiting. Just the 8-bit. I still remember waiting more than two hours to download a five megabout demo of Sonic CD only to install it and being told that my Pentium wasn't the oh. right Pentium. <laughs> oh, that's the most 1998 sentence I've heard in my life. Um, let's get to our next match, which is Nash with Hogan versus the Giant. Now, I've, I've got to bring this up again. Kevin Nash also wearing his WCW NWO Revenge attire. Um, the Giant is out next. And it is pretty impressive to see Kevin Nash go face-to-face with another wrestler. Um, but my next note is this match is in slow motion. <laughs> it's big boy wrestles. I like it. Yeah, look, Kevin Nash tried, though. I'll give Kevin Nash credit here because he had to take the role of, like, the bumping heel and, you know, take all the moves. At one point, he hits a leapfrog on the giant, which was very impressive. And then he yeah. did it straight into a big boot. He also attempted a plunger. Like he dove over the ropes. Big show caught him and slammed him into the corner. Like they that did a couple, awesome. they did a couple of cool spots, but well, yeah, it, they did what they could. Well, see, the thing is, like Nash very like when it went like the outsiders tag, um, Hall was the bump monkey. Mm. Like Nash didn't really take the heat very often. Yeah, because no, why would he? He's the giant, you know. And and I, I, one of my notes here is it's the most I've seen Kevin Nash bump since late 1996, and it is very cool seeing Nash ragdoll and get manhandled. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. There's a there's another cool spot too where the giant choke slams Bischoff from outside into the ring. I thought that was yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and then then we get into one of my favorite bits: the hot coffee into the face of the giant. <laughs> I love it because they mentioned that he got coffee thrown on him on Nitro. So it was like a recurring weapon. But Hogan and Bischoff were out at ringside. So it means one of them bought a carafe of coffee and hid it somewhere. And then they were like, when the time's right, brother, I'm going to give you the pot of coffee to throw on Big Show. Like, that's too much. That's, you know, evil villain style. Bobby Heenan does his best because like, you can see the steam coming yeah. up that coffee. It's like, no, you can't. And then Shivani had to derail it as always. It's like, it was coffee or it could have been tea. Who cares? Just say it's coffee. <laughs> I do. 
I do love how at the end, like we'll quickly like quickly like fast forward. I do love how at the end when like Big Show's like, like lay out in the ring, they bring out like like towelettes and put it over his oh, eyes yeah. to like yeah. to like ease the pain of the hot coffee. <laughs> yeah. So so what happens is after the after the the hot coffees into the face of the giant, then Kevin Nash does a jackknife powerbomb on him and botches it epically and drops giant onto his head. Now, this is an actual scary moment because he just folds yep. within his neck and it's like, oh my God. Oh yeah, but, my, my, but, my notes legit in caps lock. It's the show where Nash kills Giant. Yeah. yeah. I forgot. And my, my other note that I've put is like, I love the commentators are trying to sell how hot the coffee is while at the same time, not sure if Big Show is paralyzed. The only one who took it seriously was Bobby Heenan. Um, you could hear he had to call the replay because, you know, they would rotate who does that. He was, you could hear him wincing when he was trying mm. to say, hey, I think Giant's neck is actually hurt because he himself had basically a broken neck. So I think for him, it was pretty, it sounded pretty traumatizing. It sounded he like, very traumatizing. He was like, I think they need help for the Giant. He's like, I think they should check if his arms are moving. And the other guys are like, what about the coffee in his face? Yeah. <laughs> like, who cares? Now, did, it, like, did anything ever come from it? Like, did, did like, um... Did Giant's neck was was actually cooked? Like, what happened? Oh, I remember he wore a neck brace for a while. I don't know how gimmicky that was, but it definitely okay. hurt him because they knew they had done this before. Nash had powerbombed him before, but by this yeah. point, by this point, Giant had put on more weight. So yeah. I think Nash and, was, you know, because didn't he do it at Hog Wild? Oh, he definitely did it. We've seen him do yeah. it because I've was, definitely know, maybe seen a year it. or two ago. Yeah. yeah. But you can also sort of see too, after Nash does the powerbomb, and I know we're getting a little bit inside baseball here, you can tell that Nash is generally concerned, like, I might have just crippled this dude because he's sort of like, you know, he doesn't, when he does the pin, he sort of does that, you know, right there, bro? You know, kind of, <laughs> and he does look very, like, it's almost he drifts in and out between big, sexy Kevin Nash and I'm concerned for my co-worker, Kevin Nash. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a decent sort of match there, but um, it's overshadowed by that really scary moment um, by the uh, by the giant uh, being dropped on his neck. We'll quickly get to the next uh, little segment, which is an odd commercial for Super Bowl. It's a bloke in a tattoo shop, very weird, and he gets the WCW title tattooed on him. Yeah, because he's like a businessman, and he walks in all excited, and he's like, "Ooh, I want that. No one has that, and it's the world title." And then DDP works at the tattoo shop. They're trying to do those clever kind of commercials that the WWE was known for, but they have no punchline. So yeah. he gets the tattoo and then it shows the graphic for uh, Super Brawl or whatever. Usually the WWE would come back and there would be a punchline. Yeah, there wasn't. Be, it, it was just like, that was it. Order the pay-per-view. And you're like, what? So it'd be like for SummerSlam, it'd be an Olympic theme. And then it's like, you know, it's like the home of like summer sports start now or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Whereas this, yeah. was, this was just like, buy Starcade. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that it. And DDP will give you a tat. Yeah. And that woman with the obviously dubbed voice who worked with DDP anyway. Right. on now there has to be a saving grace of this pay-per-view as we head towards the main event. The main event isn't it, but the co-main event certainly is. This is Bret Hart's debut match for WCW, and he takes on Ric Flair. So 
it's a pretty cool little bit of history because uh, for those that don't know, Bret Hart obviously won his first world title in 92, beating Ric Flair. So it's kind of cool that his first WCW match is against Ric Flair. Something that is not cool, but is also cool in a, in a weird way, is Bret's horrible WCW theme. <laughs> it's the worst. Not good. <laughs> it's got it's a really baseline that's trying to be similar, but it's almost like backwards. It's, yeah, not good. Not and it has like the like the Bon Jovi like vo- like um like vocal <laughs> yes. guitar trying to be like the like the heart like the like the heart foundation guitar so and it just sucks. Yeah, bit of the Sam Bora <laughs> voice box. To be yeah. fair, um, so while uh, it, this is an awful theme, it does get better in nineteen late ninety nine. He gets a much better theme that's more akin to his uh, WWF one. I think um, Jimmy Hart probably went. I could probably do a little bit better than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, one cool thing that I thought was um, they do mention Brett's five WWF titles without mentioning it, if that uh, sort of makes sense. And he also does the glasses gimmick again. This will be the first time in a long time since he was a heel for the entire back end of uh, 1997 and a good majority of 97. He was, you know, a tweener. Uh, so it's almost like, uh, would you say it's like a rebirth for Brett a little bit? I think that's what they were trying. It was kind of jarring, to be honest. Obviously, we see guys go heel and face quite often, but we've seen this sort of heel Bret Hart in the WWE and everything we've been watching back. To see him play a straight-up face again was kind of weird, but that's what I think he is best at. As great as his heel run was, this Mm. feels more natural. Just in this setting, something feels off. Bret in WCW, even in a good match like this, Something doesn't feel right, though. It just, yeah. Although, kudos to Mike Tanay. I'll give him credit, too. I can't believe I'm doing this, Owen. But Tanay (laughs) even mentions their real-life animosity and how Bret Hart had written uh, newspaper articles trashing Flair, and Flair had talked, you know, crap about Bret. These guys really just thought their style of wrestling was the best and the other guy was overrated. Like they had the mm. same opinion about each other. Yeah. So, Owen, what did you think of this, of seeing this one? Because this would probably be the first sort of exposure to Brett and WCW and what he was sort of like. Yeah. Um, I was, I was actually thinking, I'm like, I'm like, you know, what's really cool. I get to talk about Brett Hart matches on the podcast. Because I don't do WWF shows. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to get a little bit wrestling nerdy for two, for two seconds. I've always loved the way Bret Hart runs the ropes. So yeah, you know most people run the ropes and they, they, they hit it full on their back. He ducks down hits and hits the middle rope like with his side and mm. springs back into action like it's a running motion. I've always popped for that. I think it's a really cool way of doing it because it makes it like slightly more real. Yeah, Brett um, treats everything very like like it's actually an athletic competition a little bit. I mean, there, there a little while ago on Twitter there was a, a, a video compilation going around of Bret Hart taking front buckles, and I every 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 time someone shared it, I just said the same thing: no one takes a front buckle better than Bret Hart does, because um, it's like he's like his he, his chest is being just convulsed by a semi trailer hmm. um, and not Ray trailer. Um, <laughs> And then, but name a better uh, name a better running bulldog 
than Bret Hart. The way he just like glides through the air and just like launches their face into the ground is just the best way to do a bulldog. Yeah. And I love it. And it's Brett, awesome. Brett was still on point. This is 98. You know, I think he's 40 something. Watch him hit every move and every reversal. Everything is basically, you can't see through it. Like he's the excellence of execution for a reason. There's even a point he's got flair in a headlock. And I think flair tries it twice. He tries doing some sort of like go around and, Bret Hart doesn't just block it with his arms. He puts his leg between Flair's legs to sort of show that like he's blocking him from running. Other yeah. guys don't do that. Yeah. Bret puts in all these little extra details it's because so to sick. him, everything is real. And yeah. with the, the front buckle spot you were talking about, what was cool in this match, they gave each other their sort of signature bump. Yeah, so, everyone got their stuff in. Yeah, like Brett <laughs> threw Flair off the top rope as is tradition, and then right away Flair got up and gave Brett the corner turnbuckle. So it, it was a fun match in terms of these two just going through the classics. How good was when Flair was on the apron and then Brett did the vertical suplex out and in? Like Brett was inside the ring. It was so sick because usually most people do that. Like when they're standing on the ropes, Brett did mm. it. Oh, like, like over the top, like over the top rope, like not standing on the middle rope. I pop for it. I'm like, this is so sick. Like, uh, yeah, I think we're still like, not obviously not Brett, like peak Brett Hart, but he's still like he's phenomenal. Still, he's still very, very good. But the only thing that works against him is he still has that WWF stink on him in the sense that no one in WCW can see him as anything but a WWF wrestler because he's just that synonymous with the WWF. And he didn't have the benefit because obviously Hogan and uh, Macho Man came in at a different time. They came, yeah. came in the pre-NWO. But in terms of this postmodern WCW where everyone comes in with a different name, they're more real. You know, Kurt Hennig wasn't Mr. Perfect. Ray Trailer wasn't Big Boss Man. Uh, you know, Hall, Nash, they're not Diesel and Razor, whereas Bret Hart, he just is Bret Hart. Yeah, he didn't he come in a... with new clothes. He didn't come in with a new name. Yeah, it's just... It's if anything, just he does... He did everything that he, that made him great in WCW, and that's what made him... I mean, sorry, in WWF, and that's what made him bad in WCW. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we needed, like, another Bret. Um, yeah. yeah. It was still good, Great though. match. This is a fantastic match, and I'm, I'm not going to say... And it's not just because this pay-per-view is pretty poor. This is a fantastic match. Put I it next it, to any pay-per-view, and I'll, I'll stick by that. I think even if it was, like, on, like, a like an early 97 or, like, a late 96 WCW pay-per-view, or even, a, like, a WWF pay-per-view, like, you'd be going, yeah, this is easily, like, match of the night. Match of the because night. it was that good. Like, even, the, even like, the finish, like, you know, like, Brett, like, had the straps down and still looking, like, super, like, huge and, like, mm. jacked. And then, like, they do the superplex up the top and Flair slips. And again, as Simon said, he's the excellence of execution for reason. Flair slips and Brett lifts him up a little bit earlier than you usually would for a superplex, mm. lifts him up and just goes with it. And it's perfect superplex. Yeah. yeah. No, no, Brett wrote it, wrote it, uh, I'll bet you Brett normally probably holds that against. I knew he wasn't that good. <laughs> he couldn't take a suplex. There was one great point as well. Like if you've read Brett's books or any interview about. Rick oh, I read his book and it's really, really painful. He mentions how much he hates the chops. He thinks they're phony and stupid. And why would anyone like put their chest out for a chop? And there's, there's one point where 
he gives Flair a couple, but then near the end, Flair goes for it again in the corner and Brett just stops selling. He puts yeah. his, his straps, down, straps down, puts him in the corner and just gives him 10 punches <laughs> because he famously was quoted as saying that he told Flair once, you know, if you chop me, I'll let you chop me, but then I get to do a move to you. I get to punch you straight in the face. So maybe we saw a bit of that. Um, it, it's a fantastic match for Brett and a, a good first match for him. Go anywhere to try and watch this one because it's weird because it's a perfect match in a very odd setting. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's like this. The best way I can say it is this is the most perfectly made Gordon Ramsay filet mignon served to vegans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, such a weird thing. But let's get straight to the main event because after that, uh, unfortunately, you know, we get our usual pomp and circumstance. Michael Buffer's here. He does the intro. It's the last of the triple main events, and it's Luger versus Savage. And the first thing I've written is, what the hell are the stakes to this? <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. what were the other two main events? And here's the thing. <laughs> well, he said it's a triple main event. They say it's a triple main event. Why wasn't Michael Buffer doing all three matches? Yeah, yeah. Buffer only <laughs> gets paid for the real main event. Yeah, and it was crap. <laughs> and did you see how annoyed he got when um Luger almost ran into him when he get when he got into the ring? Buffer got pissed. <laughs> you don't touch Buffer. They, you know, nah. that's it. He just stands and looks pretty. That's about <laughs> it. He even he even gets annoyed when a bit of pyro gets on him. Uh, like he, I've never seen a man look more dislike. Like he's just like I like the money, but I hate this job. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. This one's a pretty interesting um, match because there's a fair bit of involvement from Elizabeth, which you don't normally Dude. see. Yeah, it's my that's like my main note. Yeah, but my other main note is the crowd dead, so dead does not care. Zero. Even when and they went into the crowd. <laughs> I know. Did you see the lady sitting at the front, like just sort of like, oh, that's Lex Luger. <laughs> I'll go back to my knitting. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's such an like unfortunately. That Ric Flair versus Bret Hart was never going to be a main event uh, on this show. It was always going to be like a, a sleeper match. But why have this Luger versus Savage put Giant versus Nash at the end? Like, I really uh, see. I would have put Flair and Bret as the main. Like, I know because that makes sense. That makes sense. Wait. But if you have to put like an NWO WCW one to finish the show, then put Na which is the first thing in the freaking intro. Like, you know what I mean? Here's, here's another question. Was DDP, like, was he injured? Like, where was, where was him in the US title? No idea. That's actually a good question. Like, yeah. like even then, like, what, why would you put this as the main event? What was at stake? What was the, the angle? What was the storyline? Why would you put Luger and Savage? Buffett even said it in his intro. He's like, these two really hate each other. It's like, that's the feud? Yeah. That's the feud for the main? Yeah, it, it's it's a questionable one, and like I said, the crowd absolutely dead. Even even when they get into the crowd, and all I got to say, it's the one thing I kept noticing throughout this match is like that's a hell of a ball spot on Macho Man. Yeah, it's getting oh. worse, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the roof, the sunroof is definitely cruising down the highway at this stage. So look, this was a, a very disinterested as much as I like as much as I tried to pay attention. Couldn't pay attention to this one. It was just I, very dis. Yeah, I don't know. It was only seven minutes. It felt and, like and about forty, and not a fun Brock Lesnar Goldberg type seven minutes. Just no, why was, is this happening? A, seven minutes. 
It was <laughs> a painful seven minutes. But I, I kept asking myself, why is this the main? This was only the main for the go home spot. Yeah, look, the last, the match sucked. The seven minutes sucked. But the final two minutes of the pay-per-view, very exciting. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, like so uh, which also, which I find very amusing because casual Scott Hall comes out. And all I was thinking is like, you didn't run that one by wardrobe, did you, Scott? Uh, Nims, I thought you were going to say that wasn't unlockable. Um, that wasn't unlockable. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't WCW, I'm surprised someone hasn't hacked WCW, NWO, and made that attire. But uh, yeah, so casual Scott Hall comes out. Along with Hogan, we see more descent from the NWO. Hall gets taken out. And then rack on Savage. The rack gets happened. And... Luger wins, and then NWO beat down to end the show. However, Sting, Sting makes his appearance, and he gets a monster pop. Yeah, crowd is going mental, and then not only is Sting doing the Scorpion death lock to Hogan, but Lex Luger is doing the torture rack to Kevin Nash for Kevin about Nash. a minute straight. And that's all this crowd wants to see. Do a Scorpion death lock, do the torture rack, and we're happy. The last minute of this show made up for the main event. Mm. Now, can I say something? When when they initially did the when Luger was doing the rack, and then Hogan came in and ran shenanigans, he kicked Luger, Hogan kicked Luger square up the ass, <laughs> like like he like he like with the like he with that when he when Hogan would do that cutoff, he kicked him in the knee. He kicked him straight up the ass. <laughs> Pop for it! Yeah. I was like he kicked him straight in the butt. Now, the two things I noticed, this is one of the few times you see WCW standing tall at the end of the pay-per-view. Like, yeah. all of 97, except for Starcade, is basically the NWO reign supreme or Hogan getting the last laugh. Yeah. But this is one of the few times that you see WCW standing tall. However, is it just me or was Sting incredibly blown up at the end of it? Well, He's sort yeah. of just standing there just sucking in so much air like... Oh my god, I forgot about this. Can't I just go on the rafters? You know what I find funny though? You know how you said like like um Hall came out in just like casual clothes, and you know it's like it's even like a, like a, like an indie show when like someone will do like a, a like a mid card match and mm. they'll come out in, in, in like the beat down of the main. They'll be like you know jeans jeans and their branded t shirt. Sting was in full garb. He was yep. in trench coat. He was in full gear. It's like Sting, you could come out like a cutoff and like your tights or something, but no, yeah. brother had to do the full thing. Yeah, Sting's probably just going. Oh man, I, sh- I knew I should have talked to Scott before I came out here. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't. Ha- I'm surprised he didn't have his harness on as well, getting ready to yeah. like fly up to the roof. But yeah, so that puts an end on sold out 1998. WCW Thank stands tall. And yeah, look, let's just get straight into final thoughts here, guys. I mean, what do we think of the first pay of 1998 for WCW? Has have they thrown the baby out with the bathwater? Is there anything salvageable? Owen, they've we'll start off whole- with you. They've thrown the whole bath out. like it was it was a rough watch like it really was a rough watch um like my only like the only strong point of this match was brett um brett and flair um ray and jericho and you know uh, stevie and and stevie ray and rick martel so oh no sorry i'm booker t and rick martel so it may be like half the card but like the other half was really really like tough to watch especially again as we said why why was that even the the only reason that was the main was purely for for like the go home like yeah screenshot little spot at the end yeah Uh, at least I actually like I feel guilty because at least Simon and I have nostalgia to fall back on. 
You, we've just made you watch a horrible pay-per-view. I've got my tears to fall back on. <laughs> what about you, Simon? What did you think? Was this did it did it sort of rekindle the childhood memories, or did it make you question what the hell was I thinking in '98? No, oh, remember, I... they, remember the tacklers didn't buy a pay-per-view after Starcade '97. No, after World War Three. So oh, World I was, War III, I was already jaded to WCW, but I'm trying to watch this as someone who. Like, let's say I've never watched it all. What would be the bright spots I would take from this pay-per-view? Watching this, I might think there's hope for Bret Hart in WCW. Booker Mm -hmm. T is an up-and-coming star. He looked great. Uh, Chris Jericho was really impressive as well. Um, Maybe Scott Steiner, he's about to break out. I know none of these things really pan out for the most part in the short term. But if you took that away, you could say there's something to it. But overall, as a standalone show... Compared to the Royal Rumble, which we watched, this was yeah. absolute. One show is clearly on the rise. The other doesn't know what they're doing anymore. WWE Royal Rumble 98 felt like oh, this is a totally different show. Yeah. So much so. And just finally, too, before we put a bow on this, for me, this really invoked a lot of nostalgia purely because, like, you guys know how much of a huge Razor Ramon slash Scott Hall fan I was. So to see so much dissent from Scott Hall knowing that he's got like you think like this is it this is scott 98 is the year of scott hall spoiler alert it wasn't and as you also mentioned too simon you sort of think hey you know what brett's gonna be fine spoiler alert he wasn't (laughs) so it's it's a bit bittersweet to sort of watch this one back but at the same time we've it's like you said put it next to the wwe uh their pay-per-view and you can see one's on the rise and one is just sort of doing a big u-turn into the wrong direction yeah but um look this is it's been an interesting one to watch we've got plenty more wcw pay-per-views to get through super brawl 8 which i could tell you right now if you're a scott steiner breaking out fan uh that could be one to watch for you and um the next pay-per-view that we're going to be covering for the wdf simon and i will go through no way out 1998 that'll be next for reliving the war but uh owen apologies that we made you watch sold out 98 <laughs> Baby, I've got, another, I've got another 11 of these to watch this year. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not apologizing yet because I know it's only going to get worse. So it's not even yeah. worth wasting yet. Yeah. Plus, Simon likes my. See, Simon knows my pain threshold. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get and ready. I'll tell you what, Owen, just as a bonus for our listeners, too, if we can track down an MP3 or WAV file of uh, <laughs> Boston Brawl, we'll make you listen to it on the train to work. Oh, I'm, I'm all down. I'm down for it. Hey, look. <laughs> I'm just going to offer you guys, offer you guys uh, like a compromise. I have to sit through another 11, another eleven of these. Can I come on for the WrestleMania show? Of course you can. Yes. Of course you can. We'll get, we'll get you on for the big four. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> it, 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 look, if, if it makes me like watching wrestling, I'm down. <laughs> yeah. 98 uh, is one of the best big fours for the WWE. The Royal oh, Rumble, awesome. WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series all go off. Sounds good, good to me. Very, very cool stuff. But yeah, look, do yourself a favor too. If you haven't jumped onto the old social media and liked our stuff, Grey Wolf ENT is where you can find us. Uh, Owen has been doing some fine work in the past month or so. There's been a lot of live yeah. wrestling and he's been doing some great shots too. So if you want to I've see some great- all of it. That's why I'm so tired. <laughs> um, check him out on um, on Twitter, digital underscore beard and digital beard photography on Facebook. And same thing, uh, digital underscore, two underscores, if I'm correct, on Two Instagram. underscores on Twitter, one on Instagram. 
that's the one I knew I had it the wrong way around, but yeah, check out some of his fine work. There's it's not just wrestling too. You can find some cool live shots of bands, et cetera, and whatnot there. But um, Owen, it's been a pleasure to have you on board. We'll see you again for the next WCW pay-per-view and uh, stick around because coming up, we've, we're going to wash out uh, sold out 98 with no way out 1998 here on reliving the war. We'll catch you next time. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.